When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back to the Brenton on Tour podcast, the first edition for 2020. We continue the music series. Dave Palmer, drummer extraordinaire from Rod Stewart and many, many others, which you'll learn. His tour manager, Ben Melman. What's it like tour managing a guy like Dave and Kevin and some of these people that have been playing with Rod forever, have been touring the world for 25, 30 years and beyond. So we're going to get into that. Dave's going to tell us a bit about his history growing up in the UK, some of the bands he played with. It's a great story. We did it in Liverpool, you know, home of the Beatles. So it just seemed appropriate and perfect to get into it. Thanks for all of your help in 2019, liking and sharing. We peaked at number three on Apple for people and places. So I like being in the top 10 and it's all thanks to you. So thanks for your help. Brought to you by my friends at Varia Brewing. It's a three-in-one coffee maker. I've got one just sent to me. I'm testing it out this week and then I'm going to send you, you know, one in the mail. So like, share, do what you do. Let's get it out there, friends. The Brenton on Tour podcast has returned with Dave Palmer and Ben Melman. Here we go. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Out on stage, I get to bring all of these people together for three hours. You're listening to the Brenton on Tour music cast. Brought to you by people who love music, people who make music, and all things, well, music. You still don't really know who he is, but he just helped you stop drinking shitty coffee on the coffee cast. So, get off to John, grab a ghetto blaster, hit record and play at the same time, and learn a thing or two about music. It's the Brenton on Tour music cast. Here's BD. I am joined in Liverpool. With the very awesome Dave Palmer. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Brent. Yeah, I'm really uh, pretty happy. Yeah, we're in the uh, Titanic, Titanic Hotel, you know? Titanic Hotel. Is, yeah, which is uh, pretty cool, pretty cool, yeah. The Titanic great, great was city. built here. There's some there's sort of like it was built here and then it was shipped away. Yeah, and then shipped to Belfast, I think. It was like, yeah, it was, that was the, uh, yeah, but it, it seems like it was all, uh, yeah, all put together here, I think, you know? We're also joined by your tour manager, Mr. Yeah. Ben Melman. How you doing, sir? Great. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're yeah. just hanging out. We're going to have a little uh, yeah. little drum and touring and, uh, and touring in 2019 chat. And uh, I thank you, gentlemen, both for your time. Mm. Um, we, uh, the, the music cast is into the new year. It's 2020. And the world of touring has changed over the last couple of years. I've had the benefit of being out with some great musicians, players, mm. tour managers, over the last uh, couple of years. So I want to touch on on uh, a whole bunch of different things, a bit of history, Dave, with, with Rod Stewart and just yeah. in England. And Ben, I want to, I want to, uh, I thought I'd bring you in as a co-host here because you've been with Dave for a long time and we can talk a little bit about the history of uh, touring with this band and how, how much fun it's been for you and all the rest of it and uh, a bit of uh, where you think touring's going in, in 2020 and beyond. So yeah. here we are. Yeah. We're just kind of uh, hanging out. We're going to have a little chat. So, uh, let's get that for our listeners around the world. And here we are, uh, give us a little lowdown of Dave Palmer. He grew up, uh, what, 60 miles from here? Where? Yes. Yes. You see Chesterfield, uh, Derbyshire. I'm a Derby guy. Uh, and, 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose my musical history started in uh, 1981-82. I joined this band called ABC, and we had an album out called Lexicon of Love, what was produced by, a, uh, by Trevor Horn, and it had a couple of big uh, singles on it, Poison Arrow, Look of Love, and stuff like that, and we kind of... So that started me. I was 17 and a half when I joined that band, and that started me on my professional career. I ended up touring America in 1983, and it was, you know, amazing. And then after that, I kind of came back and uh, ended up doing some touring in Japan with the Yellow Magic Orchestra, Ruichi Sakamoto and people like that. In 85, I ended up doing work with Paul Young uh, and, you know, Pino Palladino got me that gig. I ended up touring with him for two years. We supported Genesis on their big tour and uh, that was a great tour. And then... Which you tour? Know, which tour? That was eighty-five, Genesis. Uh, the, yeah, it was the big eighty. Yeah, we, yeah, we played Giant Stadium and all the big. It was the big stadium tour. It was the Invisible Touch tour. That one, you know, that bit. You know, it's, it was. It was pretty impressive, actually. I'd never seen. I mean, I'd never played to that amount of people before. I mean, it was seventy-five thousand people every night they were playing to. You know, you were playing with Paul then. Uh, we were we were supporting them. So Paul as was he, Paul, Paul was, was Paul 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 Young was supporting them. And so, uh, unfortunately, as the people were walking in, we were playing. You know, and it was still light when we were hitting the stage. You know, but uh, it was a great tour. And then I ended up joining the the this band called the the Matt Johnson, and I did four records with Matt I, from '86 to really '93. I, I did most of most of his albums. Um, I was on tour. In fact, I was on tour with the, the and we were playing Ross Ross Gilder, and I get a call in the production office, and it's a call from. Uh, Bernard Edwards from from Chic, and he's, he was producing Rod's new record. He'd just done uh, Out of Order with him, so it, it was Andy Taylor, and I'd done a lot of work with Andy, I'd, and Bernard was producing. I'd done a lot of Andy's uh, solo albums, and he says, look, Rod's looking for a drummer, and this is obviously before cell phones. This is like 1990, you know, it's like there's no cell phones, or eight, n n yeah, yeah, 1990, and so, you know, it's like I get a call, and he says, hey, when can you get out here? And I'm going, where he goes, L.A.? He goes, he's looking for a drummer. I said, well, I can't. The, the tour finishes in three weeks. He goes, oh, well, get your ass out of here then. And I kind of bought, bought a plane ticket and came out to L.A. And I did I did an audition at Cherokee Studios on Fairfax. So uh, I came in and uh, uh, Rod, this was right, this was, uh, all the musicians were all set up there, you know, and I walked in. And I think Rod showed up. Actually, I walked in about 12 o'clock. Rod showed up at about four. We played about three or four songs. Then we went over to this place called Genghis Cohen and just had, you know, just got completely hammered. And then right at the end of the night, he goes, hey, you, you know, you've got the gig. You know, so that was my audition. And it's, it was kind of like the rest has been history, really. So I've been here really since 1990, you know. 1990. Yeah, yeah. Rod was coming out of some pretty big, songs out of the 80s. yeah yeah he was coming out that those big records it was the out of order record the forever young lost in you you know it was that right right after that and he, i did it so i did the follow-up record to that which was called vagabond heart 
and that's how I started. So I started, uh, I started playing with him, um, I, I, recording with him. Then, obviously, touring. The scene around here, Derbyshire, like growing up, yeah, and then and coming through with ABC. What's the exposure like? How are you getting? How are you breaking? Are you breaking on radio? Yeah, Video, was, videos were kind of a thing. Then. Yeah, I mean, Ben, you guys had MTV in America and all the rest of it. And that's yeah. where I, we would have saw in Canada. We had much music. I know. Is that where you got your videos from in America? How did you find yeah. music back then? Well, I was of the generation where I was really being introduced to music. I was too young for music videos on MTV, and uh, uh, all the music was really coming from terrestrial radio. And uh, blogs were becoming a thing. And yeah. what were the most popular tracks being downloaded on Napster and LimeWire? Yeah. That's really where where it started, you know, where I found my music and then the power of iTunes. So then you take it back to how you guys have to break it or have, have break through. How does one come through? How does one break through we were, back then? Uh, what, year, to, what year is this? This is uh, uh, the plan <clears throat> plan at that time for most acts in the eight, uh, in the 80s, early 80s, was that you recorded a record or you went in and you recorded three singles. So ABC, what we did is he, we went in and we recorded, we recorded, the, we recorded the first single first and then released it. And then all of a sudden it's like, fuck, oh, now we've got to do a record. You know, now, now we've got to get the record together because the single really took off and it kind of like it, it, it surprised everybody at how well it did. So we, did, we released three singles in, in England, then came the album. In America, it was just the album, you know, which which got released. Which we were on, we were on, okay, we were on phonogram in England, and we were on polygram in America. It's, it's you know, it's yeah. So it's like, and that's America just released the record, so we just did a tour on the back of the record, you know. And that's got to be, you got to do that with a video. You got to get on. Yeah, know, oh, gotta, yeah, yeah. Everyone's yeah. got to, at oh, that yeah. time, everyone's yeah, got to be everybody on Everybody actually, you had to have the, the yeah, we did, we did, we did, we did our first video with uh, Julian Temple, who did the great rock and roll swindle. He did the great, um, he did that amazing documentary on Joe Strummer as well, which is really worth watching. And yeah, he did, he did our first video. Was the difference between the demand here in the UK compared to the States, you know, was the difference enormous? Yeah. I would say uh, in Europe in general, uh, I know that the album outsold definitely here and Europe. Than America. I mean, the album was made to look like it was selling like insane amounts, but in actual fact, I think someone said that we we only actually sold. I think, for, and, and I mean, this is like this is eighties as well. I think we sold only three hundred thousand albums. Well, but only the, is a lot. And you know how many bands would kill to yeah, sell yeah. sell ten percent of that now? Yeah, yeah. We sold. We sold. I think the album went three million in Europe alone. Three million album records were sold. So it was very, very big, very popular in Europe. You know. America, we found out we we they couldn't because it was so okay. This is what we found out: it wasn't rock, so it wasn't played on a rock station. But what it was played on was it was played on, believe it or not, R and B black R and B stations. 
So we did Soul Train. We played. We 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 appealed to more that sort of crowd, all that kind of you know. And and it was it became apparent. Trust me, when we started, we toured. You know, we we played L.A., we played Chicago, we played Miami, and we played all those places. Then we played Austin, Texas, and it was like, wait a second, why are we going on? before what what's this other band and we found out we were a support band for like some covers van halen or something like that band i mean that's how small we were in those places but we did the gig but it wasn't it was like it was you know we weren't that popular and you know how does a van halen cover band treat abc from from the uk and you guys walk in and like what do you mean they sold three hundred thousand records yeah check check this out it was a 16-piece band we had a six-piece orchestra with us as well. We had a, we had a string section. We, it was like insane. I mean, you can't. It was unbelievable. What was your gig in Austin? Like a it was like this, it was like this small club. But I all remember was Chicken Wire being around the stage, and I'm going, "What is that Chicken Wire for?" And it's because it's to stop. They throw shit at you if you're not good. You know, they had a fucking Chicken Wire around the stage. I kid you not. So you have your current tour manager Ben here. We're hanging out in in Liverpool that every yeah. day off we're chilling everyone's recovering from being sick define the role of the tour manager then yeah when you've sold 300,000 records you're touring all these people around the world you got orchestra and then you go in and you do a, a gig with the chicken wire and yeah. it's small and you're open and there's like a Van Halen yeah. cover band versus what you think Ben has to go through now oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> because there's a drastic difference between the two uh, Oh, yeah, chime in. I I would refuse to have done it back then without yeah, technology yeah, yeah. and yeah, hearing yeah. stories from Dave's past. That got me out. That's <laughs> when so they sent ravens to uh, yeah. to send your rider. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, so you know, obviously you've had many tour managers over the years, but yeah. like, do you are you like, oh, you're so lucky, Ben. Yeah. So you know, what's it like back then? Oh, well, it's, it's, the it's, circus it's, or what? No, it was it was a circus, but it was also. Uh, what is it like now? I'm trying to, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm trying to think. It's a lot more chilled out. No, that, that's what I will say. Yeah, that t- t- today it's a lot more relaxed and it seems to be, I, I don't know, the general attitude. I mean, at, at that time, you know, the 80s and the 90s, it seemed to be, there was an abundance. You know, there was a lot more, um, yeah, there was a lot more openings, and there was a, there was a, you know there was a lot you, you could do more. There was a lot more a lot more potential as well, you know, to actually do to do you know to do stuff. Where today it's like you know, I feel I actually feel sorry for a lot of up and coming musicians where you know you can see that they, that that's not going to be their main source of income. They're going to have to hey, if you want to play a if you want to play an instrument, you may have to go out and find a second job. You know, you may have to, and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's. And that's it's, probably, I would say, realistic for almost everybody in the business. I mean, everyone was pretty busy, yeah. busy then touring all the time. And, yeah. you, you know, now everyone's got to have four gigs. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of guys, specialized guys can do the yeah. thing. But, I mean, Ben, you're working on lots of stuff. You're tour managing this, but, you know, you're also doing your thing on the side. Like, I mean, how are you know, are you consistently, you know, you're looking at your schedule and you're filling. What's what's the role of the new tour manager going through right now with that? Yeah, I mean, I can really only speak to for myself and, you know, what we have to deal with here on 
Rod Stewart, but there's 13 or 12 band members in this band, and we're on a totally different schedule than the than uh, than Rod and the crew. Uh, so I think most of these band members have been doing this for a while, and you know, come from the rock and roll era where now they're kind of you know they're just they're still enjoying what they're doing, but it's not as uh, What's the word I'm looking for? They're not. You guys clearly aren't partying as hard as you used to, and no, no, and, no. Uh, but you're still loving every minute of it. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, um, the role of the tour manager, at least on this gig, is really being capable of using the internet to our power. Yeah. Uh, everybody, um, I'd say about half the band has has gotten the flu within the last week, and finding different doctors in different cities all really comes down to your capabilities of quickly finding doctors in different cities through the internet um, or um, using Google Maps to our advantage and using TripAdvisor and all these different websites to try and find different hotels within our budget that really aren't on the beaten path but might have the potential to be the new hotels that we always stay at yeah. when we're in Liverpool or when we're in Munich. Uh, so I think obviously keeping everybody up to speed with what's going on and, and making sure that our movements are as efficient as possible to get everybody the most amount of rest. Uh, Cause we are on a decently rigorous schedule. You know, you've got your own personal, uh, I don't want to say agenda when you're touring, but there is like, how are you, you know, one of the things I'm trying to focus on on this particular part of the music cast is how we're staying fit on tour. So it's changed from, you know, that first time you went out on tour of like, let's just lose our minds and let's go yeah. and have some fun. Yeah. But we're moving into an era now where bands are doing full workout regimes. Bands are doing all the rest of it. What's a Dave Palmer must have to have you function through and push through to be able to yeah. do these shows, get through yeah. the flu, still play yeah. sick, yeah. do the rest of it. But how are you, what's yeah. your, what's your, your plan to stay fit? Yeah, well, out here? Okay. So, so um, when I'm at home, I work out three times a week with the, three of my friends one of my friends uh one of my friends is, is is an actor and many many years ago he studied for a part for to be an SAS guy so he he actually went and did the full SAS training with the with what they do so what we do okay we 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 drive to uh, I live in LA we drive to UCLA to the um the Royce grounds at about 6 a.m. We run a mile. Then we do 10 sets, five chin-ups, uh, 15 push-ups, 30, 30, 15, 20 air squats, 10 times. Then we run another mile after that around the track. That's four times around the track. Or we'll run the bleachers, up and down the bleachers. And uh, that's that's my regime there. My regime when I'm on the road is the same deal. Is to kind of is to run, uh, run a mile, and then just do a minor workout. At the moment, I'm I'm not I've not been doing that because I've been under the. I've just I'm, I'm kicking. I'm one of the flu guys. I'm kicking the flu, and I've had it for the last sort of four or five days. So I'm just taking it easy. And today I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna go to the steam room and try and try and clean my sinuses out. But I think. Cardio is really important when you're out on the road. And also, you, you're right, the days of waking up or, you know, and feeling like, oh, man, under the weather or, you know, like hungover, 
and shit like that. They're, they're, you know, you know I've, I've, I've read that book. You know, I've worn the T-shirt. I've written that. I've written that. Yeah, I've I've rented the DVD. I've rented the DVD. You know, I know I know how that film plays out. You know, from you know from right to the end. You know, beginning to end. It was mandatory for Ben to read yeah. that book before he came out. Yeah, <laughs> on everybody. Everyone send your yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. You know. Thank God I'm out of women's clothing. That is for sure. <laughs> Speaking of styling, uh, excuse speaking, me, sorry. About that. Yeah, now we just for the record, uh, it is now uh, December the ninth, uh, and Ben and I just got the flu. <laughs> we just got the flu from Dave. So Dave insisted on on taking this podcast to his room, uh, the flu ingested room. But hey, good thing we're working out on tour, Ben, because uh, here we are. Hey, is it feeling swampy? It, it's, it, it feels great in here. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, I feel okay, great. Okay, cool, cool. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The, uh, yeah, style-wise, you're talking about that. So you're still a stylish guy, Dave. Are you still wearing the same clothes from back then? Yeah. What was happening, you know, from the 80s to now, you got a, a little bit of a new look because I saw yeah. some of those videos and it's, you, you know, oh. it's looking good. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, you're right. Actually, you're right. Yeah, ABC wore suits and, you right? know, it's, yeah, yeah. Well, but we did wear gold lame suits and I was quite happy after that tour finished to take it outside and put, throw it in a trash can and burn it, you know? Uh, yeah, tinfoil, you know, it was like, it's, 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 it's yeah, gold lame suits, yeah. Where's yeah. the, uh, is there a spot for you? And I like to ask this of anybody that's, uh, and this is for you too, Ben, um, which you're still working towards your journey, you're tour managing and, and you're going to keep achieving things. And Dave, I think we all, we all just keep achieving. If we're in it long enough, we keep going after new things, right? I, I wanted to do Wembley. I got Wembley. I, I wanted to do, you know, uh, to go to this city. I've been to that city. There's just mm. these little tiny things that we yeah. set out for. Where was the moment for you? where you said, there it is. I've, I, I'm making it, I don't like using that term making it, but where was that moment for, for you where you'd put the hard work in and either your calendar's so jammed you can't, you can't do anything else, you're so in demand that everyone, you know, you can't keep up to it or yeah. you just feel like you've entered that level of respect where pretty much you're set for the rest of your life now. Yeah. Um, outside of selling 300,000 records and actually, yeah. you know, being yeah. able to, to make money on record sales, it's more like when were you the most comfortable in your own skin through that journey, you know? I think, I think possibly for me was, uh, I think it was when, I, when I'd gotten back from Japan, I think for the first time, and then I started doing sessions for people like Steve Lillywhite and... People, and people in London were starting to, because because obviously they'd heard me play on Lexicon of Love, and you know, and it was like, and I'd started get, and I started getting book, like being booked, for, you know, hey, for for me as a player, 
you know, hey, let's get David in, you know, or, and I wasn't living in London at the time. I was still living at that time in Sheffield. So I'd get on the train and go down there and do sessions for people. And I suppose that's when it started feeling, when I started working with the, the as well. And, you know, um, I think my, that the album Mind Bomb was a real turning point for me. When people heard Mind Bomb, it kind of fucking blew their minds, you know. People hadn't heard shit like that before, you know, and it was like people were always... I mean, I have drummers come up to me even now and go, hey, man, you know, we studied that record at Berkeley, you know, School of Music, you know, it's like the album, you know, and that's that's a real... One of my friends, actually, uh, Stacy Jones, he's uh, Miley Cyrus's musical director, and he's also a terrific drummer. Him and Abel Boreal Jr., they both studied that album. You know, it's one of their favourite records. You know, so it's like, that's 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 a compliment. And that's when, that's when I feel like, as far as creativity was concerned, I think that that period of the the of the you know eight nineties and into the two thousands was just like a really wild period because people were just getting into electronics, man. We were just finding you know sam. I mean, there were samples. We were using drum samples on that album on Mind Bomb, so the drums were all bolstered with drum samples, but they were. They they didn't have samplers, so they were using AMSs or primitive mach- real machines. But it, you know, it's it's kind of cool. So I think that's when music started really changing around that period. Sounds were different. You were hearing different things. You were hearing technology was kicking in. You know, Frankie goes to Hollywood was kicking in, and bands like that. When you were going, wow, you know, a new order were doing, you know, stuff which was completely unique and very electronic, you know, and hybrid, you know. Do you are you what, what were you listening to then? Are you a fan? Were you a more of a modern? Were you a modern? Yeah, are you a modern I, music fan now? Yeah, or, yeah, or I was listening, but yeah, but I, I would also listen a lot. I, I would, yeah, I'd, I'd listen a lot to all sorts of stuff, jazz, uh, pop, rock. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really weird for me. The bands, what, what I, I, I listened to around that time, I'm trying to think, was, was obviously contemporary stuff and any, a cool, a massive attack was a huge influence around that time as well when they came out they just turned it up they the bristol scene turned the thing upside down you know so there was all these you there was all these like there was movements in england there was like these collectives and movements what it massive attack was really a big part of the you know that you know you, you've got that and then you've got like you know um then of course all the music from america as well there's some great music coming out of america or was there? I'm not sure. <laughs> that one. Yeah. There, it, it, people would debate that. Yeah, they, people yeah. would debate any time yeah, frame. Everyone yeah. thinks they grew up in the best time of music. I ben, definitely think that when Nirvana kicked in in 93, that was a movement. That was a change. That was like the, you know, the. it was needed. It was much needed. It's amazing when those yeah. moments, when those yeah. moments kind of hit. It was something really, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's good when 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 this when when things when things come out and it's reactionary because it's 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 you know against they were they were the antithesis of corporate rock 
And I think I think music was getting very corporate at that time, you know, and the corporations were really starting to take over. And I think they were kind of all, I think the kind of Seattle scene just turned out upside down. Sub pop kind of was the big, you know. Ben, you came through sort of your world a bit sort of after that. Were you, influ- you know, what's your kind of favorite music that you're listening to? at that time or what's bringing you through your journey to, to becoming a tour manager? Because we all kind of start in music, right? Like I started in music. I, yeah. Dave, I talked to you a, a bit earlier about Dimebag Daryl from Pantera yeah. and sort of like, yeah. I, I just did an, a, an episode on him, his tragic passing, but just sort of like how important that time oh, yeah. in music played in my journey, yeah. you know, out of the eighties into the nineties and yeah. sort of like the different changes in music. Yeah. Um, ben, so, as Davis sort of walked through his, you know, journey through America and some of these different bands out of the UK that were influencing him. Does the same thing apply to you? Do you start somewhere? Is there a band for you where you're like, Oh, wait a minute. And then you decide I'm doing it because of this kind of thing. Yeah. Doing it just kind of fell in place. Uh, But the first music that I was really introduced to was my mom was a big, Dixie Chicks and Luther Vandross fan, you know, two totally opposite ends of the spectrum. But that's what was always in the car when I was on the getting picked up to go to school or getting getting dropped off. You know, that's what we were listening to. Uh, And there was a few other records in there, of course. Um, But it was the first real record that I remember kind of picking on my own beyond the Beach Boys and everything that my parents were listening to when I must have been 10 or 11 was... um, the real some shady by Eminem when I was living in Seattle. Um, we, uh, we were living in Seattle for my mom was having cancer treatment. So we were living in a hotel and anything that had a parental advisory sticker on it or rated R was definitely not, I was not allowed to listen to it, but the hotel receptionist, it's funny. I spent eight months in a hotel that year and now I'm doing it again, uh, being a tour manager, but the receptionist in the lobby used to rip me CDs and the first CD I had was The Real Slim Shady. Uh, so it kind of opened up this, well, kind of, I guess, a rebel in me. And I was always playing instruments, but I really started getting into urban music and hip-hop. Uh, and then fast forward a few years later, I'm buying Tupac records and really just re- very fascinated by hip-hop music while still listening to everything else. Um, uh, and Eminem started a movement just on his own too. I mean, coming out of that moment of hip hop needed a change as yeah. well. Yeah. And it was insane. Did you guys get much of hip hop over here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I loved, I, I was living in America when he came out. That was the thing. I was already, I'd already moved. I'd moved to New York 91. So I was already in America when he, when he started hitting, you know, hard. So it was, so he was like, great. I was also, I've got to tell you, there was one night, we were at, oh God, a club. I'm trying to think of the name of it now. It was off the West Side Highway and it used to be a roller skating ring. And then they'd close it and they'd open it up as a club. What was it called? I'm trying to think of it. But every Wednesday night they had this night. And I was there one night with Arthur Baker and Niall Rogers and a bunch of other people and we were all hanging. And... uh. Nirvana, the, the, the DJ was playing Nirvana. And then right after Nirvana, there was like this, ah, oh, freak out, 
ching, 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 ching. And man, the, 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 Niall Rogers turned round. He goes, he says, now this is a good record. <laughs> and but what, I, what I'm trying to say is the two genres. Actually, music's if it's good music. If it's fucking good music, it kicks, it, it jumps out of the speakers at you. And the Nirvana track was amazing, and then the Sheep track was amazing. And this guy, this DJ, would mix rock. Then he'd play The Clash, rock the Casbah, and then he'd play something, he'd play another heavy track, you know. And it's like, music's, it's, it's amazing. It has, you know, the genres and stuff are just... I think that, that part, not that I'm going to clubs anymore... Uh, last time you went to a club, Ben, but I don't see that crossover happening right now. No, no, the no. kids are kind of liking everything, but they don't know what they like. Yeah, yeah. Like they're sort of like, yeah. you know, I, I, I guess it's it's healthy from the standpoint of everyone's got kind of everything on their on their iPad, yeah. or, or sorry, yeah. on their on their phone or on their iPhone or yeah. whatever. Um, when I was kind of coming through, it wasn't as collective. Like yeah. you were sort of a metal yeah. and rock fan you weren't like a depeche mode and new yeah. order fan yeah. even though they're all considered rock yeah. sort of now there is a bit more of a time yeah. um does i just find that it's to that point it's like you can go to that club and have those genres mix and everyone still loses their mind because it's a good yeah. song i'm wondering if that is the case now is yeah. it is it hip for a like you know Billie Eilish just admitted she doesn't know who Van Halen is and everyone's freaking out about it. Yeah, and I'm like, well, why would I, she? Why would she know who Van yeah, Halen yeah. is? She's old, she's what how old is she? She's seventeen like, years old. Yeah, right? yeah, like, exactly. what, like why would she know? And yeah. and she's not going to stand there and and when they put on ain't talking about love in a club and she's going to like you know jump up and down and be all excited to hear Van yeah, Halen. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Absolutely. Billie doesn't seem like the type of person we'd find in a nightclub, anyways. No, but I'm talking. But it's just like yeah, that's. It just there's a bit of like thing happening now where yeah. that yeah. crossover is not happening. I, I, as much. I actually, I actually, to be perfectly honest with you, I found her music really refreshing. I, you know, I listened to I listened to her, her albums and her album, sorry, and I was like freaked out. I loved it. I, I, I like I liked it because it was it it's it's sparse. It's really bare. It's really minimal. And it, but it's super effective, and all all you do is you just focus on her, you, you, on her voice and the sound of her voice, and how interesting it is. And I think the combination of her and a brother, I think that's a pretty, uh, you know. And he's getting some great gigs out of it now too. Yeah, you know, yeah he's producing yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, um, I did I did her first two shows in Philly. I had her when she was the first gig. We sold five hundred tickets to, and it sold out instantaneously. And then the second gig, she did a thousand tickets and sold out instantaneously. Uh, and her brother was in the band for both of those shows. Her mother was pretty much playing the role as the road manager. Yeah. And her father was the LD. Uh, it was pretty incredible. Yeah. And I yeah. think they're still pretty actively yeah, involved. Yeah. 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 Wow. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're winding down. So I'm, I know you, you're recovering from sickness, so I won't keep you too much longer. So. Yeah. Um, I just, um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on uh, was sort of just, uh, you know, that journey through the process. And now you've been playing with Rod since yeah, 1990, yeah. been Rod's guy. Um, any work that you're most proudest of? I mean, outside of what you touched on with Dada and, and selling and like anything that you're, you're, you're composing music now too, you're doing yeah. some film work and, and the rest of it. Are you in a, 
great creative zone right now? Are you feeling like yeah, like you're, you're yeah, top I, of your I, game? I, and, yeah, and, I am. I'm. Um, I'm feeling. Uh, I'm looking. I'm actually looking forward to next year. You know, I'm actually looking forward to this. This that we we have we have some we have a little bit of forced down downtime, which is nice uh, because it's all because I basically uh, me and my wife have just moved home, so it, I, I I literally. We moved in on Tuesday as I left on the following Monday. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to kind of uh, getting back there and and uh, and building building a studio and getting everything kind of working and having, you know, and, and recording and doing, yeah, doing, t- I'm, you know, I've, I've got a lot of friends who are editors and music editors and film editors and try, I'm, I'm going to try and get more, I'd, I'd really like to try and get more into doing some TV stuff or even film stuff, you know placements and things like that that's what i'd like to do next year that's going to be my main focus at the beginning of the year really you know very cool okay last question for you both um david best part of touring worst part of touring and where do you think touring is going in 20 that 2020 and beyond i know it's three parts but okay uh, best best i'll do the best part of touring and worst part of touring first best part of touring is I love the playing. I love the two hours each night. You know, I love the. Uh, I, I, it to me, it, it's 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 uh, it's when you get in that zone, it's it's safe. It's a safe place, you know, and it's like it's almost like you kind of forget where you're at, you know. You it's 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 great, and and I love visiting. I I love being able to visit interesting places and cities and and just yeah i feel really blessed to be you know to be able to do this you know it's 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 a it's a, it's a really charmed it's quite a charmed life you know and uh so it's uh, yeah i feel i'm pretty humbled by it all you know and that's and that's the that's the, that's the way i've always been you know it's not, i don't take anything for granted you know worst part about touring is I get slightly homesick these days. I miss my daughter, you know. I miss my, I miss my wife, you know. It's, I get slightly, uh, I get slightly homesick, you know, and uh, that's pretty much it. That's the only downside of it, really. I can say, you know, it's a job what I chose to do, you know. It's and it's 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 it. It's a fantastic job. Now, what was the third? Where do you see touring going in 2020 oh, and beyond? Yeah. Because a lot of bands are trying to be green and a yeah. lot of bands are trying to like tidy yeah. it up and try to I do know. stuff. So, I mean, touring is kind of on autopilot for yeah. the most part if you got a great tour manager yeah. and production managers and stuff that, that keep it rolling. But yeah. do you see a change for the artists? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. I, I, I see a change. There's, there's been a big change, I think, in the artist. And, and I think... Actually, you must see it, and and Ben must see it even more. Is that I think if you put a great package together these days, of a two or a three or a co-headline, you've got a very good possibility of it being a good sellout tour. But you, you, I, I think the the idea these days and the fallacy that you can go out there unless you are a really hot you know top top 20 top 10 even is and but hey you know what i know that the there was times when rihanna and people like that she was like selling mega amounts of her albums and couldn't sell an arena out you know could not she'd have to have people you know 
with it. And that's that's no disrespect to her. It's just the way it is. I think that it's very, very. It's, that's that's very different now. I think it's 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 you know it's and I suppose it's ticket prices as well, maybe, and you know not the abundance anymore. You know. I think to touch on Dave's point, you know, with uh, the way that touring used to be, is some you would as a consumer they would have to pick whether you know how much money they're willing to invest into the music economy do they can they afford to buy an album and a ticket and now that that streaming has dramatically reduced how much disposable income is being spent on hard copy albums you know does that create more opportunity for fans to buy more tickets yeah um and then we we have seen the ticket prices increasing increasing over the last i don't know how many years Uh, so i think that's what i'm most fascinated about in the future is, is where is technology and where where are these kind of up and coming players going to take the future of touring what as it you know when it comes to can can you reduce ticket prices at all using different technologies or can you can you make touring more efficient or more green or more practical so that there's more money to be you know made for artists yeah. uh, and, and, and instead of them getting price gouged yeah. and maybe that drops the ticket price for consumers a little bit so that that's where I'm excited to see what happens. And there is a movement to take things in a greener direction, less fuel. Yeah. So that's a whole other thing that's coming, and that's going to be a challenge in trying to figure out how to do that properly, uh, sustainability, keeping uh, people like you know engaged, especially with the way the culture is now. If people complaining about every single thing, yeah. you go, you can go on a fully green tour, and someone's going to find a way yeah. to complain. So you know, I think you touched on a point earlier about you know. Giving people a great show, yeah, quality, great music. Yeah. Um, there is this assumption that you can just go out on tour and you're just going to make all the money and go. But I still think that you need to back it up with a great product, yeah, and you still absolutely. need to back it up with great tunes, which is why Billy's selling out everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of these these acts are either struggling yeah. that might have millions and millions of Spotify hits yeah. but can't sell a record. You still got to have good quality, yeah. and um, so yeah. it's going to be interesting to see yeah. where it goes, um, Ben. You're still um, in the the phase of being on tour right now, so it's probably a little fresh for you from a tour management standpoint. But uh, your best and worst of of your gig, the best is definitely you know making these lifelong friendships and relationships with mm. people like you guys and and the rest of the band and some of the crew members that you know I've become very close with. And same with Dave, um, being away from home is probably the hardest part. Uh, yeah. I've seen a couple different areas of the music business now and and definitely being on the road has been the most uh rewarding and most fulfilling um there's nothing like it uh so i guess the hardest part is being away from home well you touched on it there where you said you know making lifelong friendships Mm. and meeting people around the world and i truly think when you spend the amount of time that we all spend together you become a family whether you like it or not you become you know there's going to be you know some angers, there's going to be some, whatever yeah, you're all going to go through yeah. with brothers and sisters and people do on the tour. But I think that we, the one thing that brings us together is music and we all can connect on that. So yeah. you guys coming uh, and helping me with the podcast, I really appreciate it. It's uh, cool. it's something creative for me. This is my yeah. drum solo every Excellent. night, <laughs> every week and trying to figure out how to, yeah, no. you know, how to create something every single week. But I want to educate people yeah, a bit totally on, what we, cool. on what we do and, and how we're trying to get out there. So hopefully we can do this again down the road. Yeah. Um, 
you know, on, uh, around episode uh, 100 or something, and we'll, we'll get updates on everybody. Yeah. And Ben, I know you're working on something extremely exciting. I can't wait yeah. to break out uh, and talk about, but we'll leave it in the can for now. For you listeners, you're just going to have to stand by yeah, until exactly, it comes you know, out. Exactly. I kind of, I, I kind of, I kind of know. I kind of know about it. It's exciting, man. It's, it's a exciting. bit exciting. exciting. Well, you're the godfather, right? Yeah, you're the dawn of this. You're watching yeah. this, you know. Yeah. From, that's right. He's, yeah. a, he's yeah. going from there. So, uh, I'll let you get to it. You go get some rest. Uh, oh, thanks, go run bro. some. Go run some yeah. steps first. And yeah. uh, Ben, you go. You already did the gym, so I cool. think you're you're covered on this sickness. Appreciate your time, yeah. gentlemen, and uh, we'll see you on stage. Thank you. All right, Thank boys. You, Take care. You can always get more music talk with me, Todd Hancock, and the Toddcast podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and in our latest podcast, we look back at 2019. You'll hear highlights from conversations with Steel Panther drummer Sticks and Inya, Corey, I Wear My Sunglasses at Night Heart, Hailstorm singer Lizzie Hale, Godsmack singer Sully Erna, The Ramones' CJ Ramone, Todd Kearns, and a bunch more like Nickelback singer Chad Kruger. Here he talks about songwriting and if it gets easier over the years well now because we've got nine albums under the belt uh we have to be incredibly cognizant of not sounding like something else we've done but still sounding like us the brenton on tour music cast is brought to you by the toddcast podcast follow us on facebook twitter instagram find everything at toddcast podcast and you can hear the podcast full interviews and a bunch more through toddhancock.ca we'll see you soon Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.